Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. While the science aligns on what's healthy for a baby's brain development, when it comes to how to care for our babies, there's a seemingly endless supply of competing perspectives. Parents are swimming in advice on sleep, feeding, and parenting philosophies. In this season of the podcast, we aim to provide a variety of curated perspectives so you can make informed choices for your family. Some children make a lot of noise as they move through their day. They tend to like big movements like bear hugs and wrestling and getting messy. And others are quieter. They can sometimes be bothered by subtle things like tags, temperature, too much light. These children might retreat if their senses get overloaded. Sensory preferences fall on a spectrum. And here to talk about how to navigate these differences is Dr. Ali Tickton. She is the author of Play to Progress, Lead Your Child to Success Using the Power of Sensory Play. We started the conversation looking at how sensory needs can vary from child to child. Along with everything that pertains to a child's development, it seems like sensory needs exist on a spectrum also. So some children's systems are more deprived and are looking for big inputs. It's like I think about my middle child here. They're, you know, he's loud and he just craves like big physical interaction with us and, and with the world. And other children can be easily overwhelmed by sensory inputs. So like certain scents or bright lights might really bother them or an uncomfortable tag in their shirt. I'm really wanting to understand this better. Can you explain this? Each child is going to have a different sensory need. So some kids, they need a lot of sensory input. So they might need a lot of vestibular, which is one of our hidden senses. They may need a lot of movement. Whereas another sense, possibly our sense of smell, smells might be really overwhelming to them and they may really struggle to process smells. So it's not just one child is a big mover and the other child is more hesitant. It's a lot. How do we process each individual sense? I kind of compare it to Goldilocks and the three bears, right? We want to have the just right reaction to each sense. So one child may say, oh, that's a little bit too much, not quite perfect. That's not quite enough. And our goal is that within our senses, we get that just right. But of course, you won't always get the just right. And that's okay. But that's what we want to work through. And we'll get into how we can help children and and really enrich their sensory life. But how do you know if a child's sensory needs are within the normal realm versus when it's time to get extra support? This is a really great question. And like I mentioned, all kids do have their own sensory needs, but what to look for is if it's impacting their daily life. Is it impacting their learning? Is it impacting their friendship skills or their ability to do something like get dressed, eat a balanced meal? And when I say that, I know tons of parents are thinking about picky eating, but when I talk about a sensory-based picky eating, it is far more intense than just, I don't want to eat broccoli. So when these sensory needs are really impacting their daily life, that's when you want to seek some additional support. 
And so you talk about proprioception being one of your favorite senses to work with. Why is that? I absolutely love proprioception. And the reason I love proprioception, it's actually our sense of where we are in space, but proprioceptive input, which is often referred to as heavy work. So like pushing, pulling, climbing, any force against the muscle, this input is incredibly grounding and organizing. It has this powerful ability to help calm a child, especially in the most difficult moments. It's the first input I'll turn to during a tantrum or after a hard day when their body is really having a hard time settling. It's actually also a tool that I love for my own body and you know, many adults also turn to it, but for them, it may look different. It may look like a boxing class for our kids. We want to incorporate it into their daily life to help their body feel calm and grounded. Oh, this is so interesting. Cause my, my little guy just will come up to me and squeeze me so hard and give me the biggest hugs. And it's actually like getting to the point where it hurts. So what do you recommend? There are fidget toys, weighted blankets, like are, are those some of the answers to, to this? I always tell parents it's not one tool fits all or one tool works all the time. Call these body tools and you want a variety of different tools. The first step is help to bring awareness to your child. I'm very careful to say your body, not you. I wouldn't say you hugged me so hard and I didn't like it. I would say, I noticed your body squeezed me so hard because it's not a behavior. It's not them. It's their body. And we want to kind of remove the shame and really help bring awareness to their own body's needs. From there, we work through what, how can we get the need? And it looks different in every environment because it's going to look different when you're out at Target versus you're sitting in circle time at school. I will often turn to heavy work. So pushing, pulling, if you are at home, I always grab a laundry basket. You can fill the laundry basket with wet clothes, with cans, anything you can and push and pull. There's a lot of different things you can do at home, like using the couch cushions, pull them off. Now, when you're out in public, that's when some of the little fidgets come into hand, which again, I'll call a body tool. And you can keep just like a little piece of TheraPutty, which is a really resistive putty in your purse in a little Ziploc bag and pull that out and hand that to your little one. So as they're sitting in the cart, they can just pull on this putty and get that need out, but it's not bothering anyone. And it's really, really easy and simple. Those are all proprioceptive activities. They provide proprioceptive input. How you might know that your little one is needing more of this input is if you're noticing that they're doing things like crashing, big body movements that really give them that big, intense feeling. They could be hugging, they could be biting. And I think that is one that parents don't always realize, but when you bite or really chewing on different things, that is also providing proprioceptive input. They may be hitting or pushing. So it really can look like a behavior, a lot of crashing. And they're really just needing more of this heavy work, more of this proprioceptive input. And we want to bring that awareness to them. So then we can give them the tools to work through it. 
Oh, that makes so much sense. It's all coming together now because both of my boys went through a phase where they were just chewing on the sleeves of their shirts mm-hmm. and like chewing holes into them. And so we ended up getting them some, you know, round the neck chew toys in the hopes that they wouldn't ruin their shirts. But it sounds like that is the, again, looking for that proprioceptive input. You got it. And those chew toys were providing it for them in a more functional way. Lots of brain growth happens in the first three years of life. But how much of who we become is predetermined by our genetics and how much is based on our early experiences? According to neuroscientists, it boils down to about 50-50. 50% genetics and 50% environment. But what exactly is this environment? What makes for an environment that is enriching for little brains? At Lavevri, we have brought together experts from all fields of early childhood development to answer this question. Neuroscientists, Montessori experts, occupational therapists, and speech therapists. For every stage from birth to age four, we have just the right activities, tools, and information so you can feel confident you are giving your child the very best start. Talk to me about other sensory input that children are looking for that's more common in addition to the proprioceptive input that they're looking for. Yeah, one that comes to my mind, and there's a little girl popping into my mind right now, actually, but is texture, is touch. So some kiddos, you will find them at preschool, head to toe, covered mud. They're When they're washing their hands, they want to get it wet all over them. They're constantly touching slime and they're really, really enjoying that feeling of getting completely messy. They may play with their food and that might feel really, really good to them. In that instance, that child is saying, I need more tactile input. I need more touch. And one thing I also want to mention on the flip side of this, and I think it is important to mention, we're talking a lot about needing more, but remember, it can also be too much. And if it's too much, sometimes these kiddos will retreat. And I always am really careful. And I always say to teachers when I'm doing teacher trainings, pay attention to the child who is really quiet and has just retreated all the way to the back of the group because that child may not be jumping into play because all of the sensory inputs are too much for them and they're not disruptive or making a big fuss. So maybe, you know, it can be easy to look over them and say, oh, maybe they're just shy, but really they're struggling with all of the sensory inputs. It's too much for them. It's too overwhelming. And now that is impacting their friendships and their ability to play. And so we give textures to children who are looking for more of the squishy, getting muddy, getting messy. And then how do we respect our child's need to be clean? I know that one of my babies went through that phase where she really just did not want to be dirty at all. I know some of that is kind of is typical development. How do we serve those needs as a child grows? Absolutely. So I will say it's always really important to never push any sensory input on your child. We always respect their boundaries. We offer them. You want to finish the activity and then wipe your hands? Or are you feeling like you really need a wipe right now? Because the number one thing as we're working on this is 
Do they feel safe? If they feel like they're pushed to stay messy, they're going to feel unsafe and get this anxiety in their body that's going to cause them to really never want to engage in that messy play and never get messy. So the number one thing is let's create a safety net around them, make them feel safe and always respect their boundaries. Remember one of the tips that we have on the Love Every blog is to offer a little popsicle stick as an implement to then engage with uh, sensory, whether it's, you know, a little bit of paint or, you know, some food that, that we're doing some sensory play with, but let them kind of do it through an implement instead of actually getting their own hands wet or dirty. You can even use a cotton ball or even food. Broccoli, a head of broccoli makes a great paintbrush. It makes wonderful texture on the paper. So you can really use anything and it's up to them. One, one other strategy I will often say is get messy yourself. And I'll tell you this for me is a big challenge. I happen to be a person that really struggles with mess, but when I'm with a child, I really always will push myself. And I think it's hard as adults to let it get all over you, show them that it's safe and fun and be silly, bring out your inner child so that they also feel okay to meet you there. And they may naturally push their own boundaries when they're given the space to do it on their own versus being pushed to get there. And I think that this is all based on assumption that sensory input is good. Talk to me about, let's elevate for a second. Help me understand why we need to engage these senses for children's learning. Absolutely. So especially when a child is young, our kids learn through their senses. So from the time a baby is born, they learn and they immediately begin taking in their world, learning about their environment using all eight senses. My goal is that one day the eight senses are taught in every classroom and everyone knows there's eight senses, not five. So I will start with our three hidden senses. So our three hidden senses, the first is our vestibular sense. This is our sense of movement. The second is our proprioceptive sense or our sense of where we are in space. The third is called interoception. And this is our internal awareness. So this is a big one for potty training. And then we have the five that you are already familiar with that I don't think we need to list, but our three hidden senses are so important. And I, my goal is that one day we know all eight senses. And so then how can we have sensory rich play through materials incorporated in engaging all of these senses? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is being picky about your toys toys that require batteries or toys that light up, we want to try to avoid those toys. We want to pick toys that allow a child to one, move their body and two, really decide how do I use it and use it in multiple different ways. So open-ended toys. Take something like a dog that you push a button on the dog and it moves and it barks. Then your little one, starting really young, will push the button on the dog and they'll watch it move and the dog will bark. So that dog is playing for your child. Your child isn't playing with the dog. Your child isn't having to come up with a way 
to play with the dog. They're not really using all eight of their senses versus if you just have a dog that doesn't require batteries, it doesn't bark, it doesn't light up, then your little one has to decide, do I want to take the dog on an adventure? Do I want to build a ramp for the dog? Where am I going to go with the dog? And can I make the barking noise for the dog? So now your little one is going to move their body. They're going to use their own creativity. They're going to problem solve as they're building and as they're exploring in order to create an adventure with this dog, because there isn't just one prescribed way to play with the dog. And that's why picking open-ended toys are so important. I also always say, turn to your recycling bin. Some of the best toys will come out of your recycling bin. So you can use the boxes from the toys you buy. Anything that you have around your house, toilet paper rolls. There's so many ways to use natural materials along with the toys that we have that are open-ended. Also getting outside. Explore the sounds of nature. Go on, you know, a leaf hunt. What can you find? These are all great ways to naturally explore our sensory system. I grew up in the Midwest and I often say, think about what you would have done as a child. We didn't have all of these toys that have all these special features when we were growing up. Go back to your own childhood and bring your kids there and allow them the space to create. They may say, I don't know what to do and sit in that space with them and work through it, but don't tell them exactly what to do. Maybe you see your toddler trying to get a shape in a shape sorter and they're really struggling and they're starting to get a little fussy. You want to encourage them and say, oh, I see you're trying so hard. You got it. You can do it. And really show them that you're in it with them and you're nurturing them and you're supporting them with your voice. And maybe you help just an inch, but don't bring it all the way there. Let them bring it all the way there. And the other beautiful thing about this is once they get there, once that shape gets in the shape sorter, they are going to be so proud of themselves because they did it. You didn't do it. You supported them along the way, but they completed the task. What is a sensory toolbox? You talk about this in your book. Is it a one-size-fits-all or does it vary based on the child's needs? So our sensory toolbox is really a box of what I call, I mentioned it earlier, our body tools. So it's a box of tools that will help your little ones stay regulated. You may have TheraPutty in it, which will provide some of that proprioceptive input. You may have some fidgets in it may also have something like a weighted ball, which is great for circle time where a child can roll that weighted ball on their legs or just sit it in their lap. I'm careful in the sensory toolbox, especially because I often recommend that it goes to school, that I, I pick things that aren't, they don't look exactly like toys. So it won't, I'd rather have just a plain weighted ball than a weighted stuffy because the weighted stuffy is going to look a little bit more like a toy and maybe a little more distracting versus just the weighted ball really is a nice body tool. And, and the same goes for everything else in there. So little fidgets, you know, just a little piece of putty versus a big pot of slime. 
when slime is all the rage right now. Every every child will have different body tools in their own sensory toolbox. It's not one size fits all, and it's not this tool works all the time. At different times, you need different things. Just like sometimes your body needs a salad and other times your body needs a burger. The same goes for our sensory toolbox. We want to provide a variety of tools in there and help teach our kids to be aware of what their body needs in that moment. And they can independently just go to this toolbox, grab a tool, and then use it to help them stay regulated. One thing to remember is that regulation is the key to learning. A child can't learn without being regulated. So the first thing we need to achieve is regulation before we can even talk about learning. And these, this sensory toolbox, the body tools in it will help a child stay regulated. Okay, so wait, how can you tell if a child is playing with something or if it's helping them regulate? Isn't it one in the same? Really good question. It's not one in the same because if something is helping a child regulate, you'll notice that their body is now calm, they're attending, they're engaging, versus if they're playing with it, they're likely more focused on that item than they are on what you know, the goal is, whether it's circle time or if they're working on a project, whatever it is, you'll notice that they're more focused on that item than what the group task is, than the group plan is what we call it. And so at that point, that's when you'll kind of say, oh, I'm noticing it's a toy. It may even be disruptive. They may be playing with it in a way that's a little bit disruptive. So that is when we want to go and replace it for a different body tool. Some of us have calm down corners or places where our children can go to just, you know, try and find some calm after having a big, you know, emotional moment. Can you talk about what's in a calming toolkit? You talk about this in your book. Can you explain this? Absolutely. So similar to the sensory toolbox, a calming corner, calming toolkit is an area of your house and can be really wherever works for you. We want it to be a really small area. So I'll often tell parents, if you have a little spot between your couch and your wall, that's kind of just this little dead space, but a place where a child can crawl in, that's the perfect place for your calming corner. And it's a space where a child can go and there isn't much if any, sensory input. So it's a place where they can start to realize my body is feeling a little out of control. I need to get away from all of the sensory input. So from the noise, from the lights, and it's a really calm spot. And inside of it, you don't have much. You just have, again, we're always coming back to that proprioceptive input. You just have a few heavy work items. So maybe that putty, You may also have some items that will give them deep pressure. And typically, I try to put it in a place that you can eliminate light. So it's a really calm, dark, kind of quiet place. You may have a book in there if if that is really, really calming for them, but not 10 books, just one. So it's not overwhelming. It's really, really simple. You want it to be cozy. 
And then we want to teach our little ones that this is a place that you can bring your own body when you're needing a break. One really important thing about this is that we never tell them, go to your calming corner. Instead, we introduce the calming corner at a time when they're really, really regulated. And then they can slowly learn and practice going there when they're feeling overwhelmed. That makes so much sense. And, you know, you talk about the zones of regulation. So how do you help a parent incorporate, you know, something like this into their house? The zones of regulation is a really incredible program. What it does, it essentially matches colors to how a child's body is feeling. So the green zone, they're happy and they're calm. The red zone, they're feeling angry. The yellow zone, their body is is losing a little bit of control. I like to have it up. You can put it up on their fridge, in the play space, wherever it's easy for them to go and reference. But first, we're going to teach it to our little one and teach them like, oh, this, the green zone is when we're happy. And I'll use faces because remember, our little ones can't read. So it's important that we use different faces on the colors. And then you put it up and you just slowly bring awareness to it. You might say, oh, my body's feeling a little bit in the yellow zone. And bring up that mindfulness. So it's essentially just helping them realize how their body feels because they can't use any tools. They can't, you know, they don't know what their body needs without understanding how they feel. So that's the first step is one, identifying how do I feel so I can identify what my body needs. It's actually, you know, it's much like mindfulness. It's really, really incredible to bring that self-awareness from a really young age. And Allie, this has been so great connecting with you. I feel like I could talk to you for another two hours, but um, is there anything that we have left out that you wanted to share with parents? You know, I think the number one thing that I think of is really just allowing your child the space to play and allowing them the space to explore. And it may look different in every child, but if your little one is really wanting to explore something, let them explore it. Of course, keep them safe, but allow them to check it out and see how does this work? How do I open this? How do I get this done? And also allowing them the space to make mistakes because that's how they're going to learn. That's great. And I think oftentimes in our need to keep our children safe, we deprive them of some sensory exposure. So there is a balance there. Allie, it's been so great connecting with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you. Learn more about Dr. Allie's research at playtoprogress.com. And for more sensory play ideas to try, visit the Love Every blog at loveevery.com. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.